Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As uh, we start off uh, this new year with a brand new series called Life in His Story. And uh, been looking forward to doing this uh, with you and, and what that's all about. And, and really, this, uh, this series is going to be about talking about and working through together um, the Christian year. Um, a lot of times we, we're not aware of the fact that the church historically has, um, has these um, commemorative days throughout the year and they um, are significant for us to understand because if we'll, if we'll sort of grab a hold of it, it helps us to define our lives um, according to his story by sort of structuring the year around the, the cent, uh, central redemptive acts of God in the Messiah. And I like this because it sort of reminds me where I'm at in his story, which I think is pretty significant. And so um, it, it repeats itself, you know, the, the events every year in the Christian year, which we'll be talking about. You've heard most of the names before, but we don't always realize they're going on around us. And, and just sort of knowing them and what they mean and why they're there um, is very helpful in our Christian walk. Um, in, our, in our society, in our culture, um, we tend to structure our year really around some holidays at the, towards the end of the year that, you know, I sort of refer to as, as like, uh, uh, you know, hello, thanks, Christmas time, day. <laughs> it kind of starts in the, the fall festival time, rolls through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Valentine's Day, and people kind of mark things by that. We've got some other ones, but, but you know, it's at the end. Well, the Christian year... Um, has more significant days with more meaning and, and it's really not just a series of commemorative holidays but it's actually a way of ordering our day-to-day, week-to-week spiritual lives around the story of redemption. And I feel like if we'll get a hold of this, it will be very beneficial to you in your walk with Christ, in, in your walk in with God. Knowing, I, I like knowing where I'm at in his story. And it's kind of fun for me. I know I'm a part of his story. You've heard me talk about being a part of his story all the time, that we're adjectives in his story. He's the noun of his story. But in, in looking at the Christian year and in understanding where we're at, it sort of helps me to connect with him and, and every year move through the events of his life once again. And uh, I think it's really significant. So we're going to dig into that together. Uh, it helps us to give our lives context uh, as we journey through the events of the life of Jesus each year. Now, the Christian year actually begins with Advent. We sort of touched on that in the, as we were closing our last series, and you heard me talking to you, okay, this is the, this is the, you know, the first Sunday in Advent, and the second one, I mentioned them, and we did little readings with that, and um, Advent, I, I told you then, is where we start thinking about his first coming, and is that he's coming back again, and that over that month, um, that should be sort of the, the, the thoughts that are in our mind, and we did, we did touch on that, and we'll We'll touch on it again later on. And then Christmas begins. We all know about Christmas. It, the Christmas season begins with Christmas Eve. And then it goes for 12 days until today, actually. This is the eve of the Epiphany, but we're going to be talking about the Epiphany. The 12th days of Christmas happen from Christmas on, not before Christmas. So you're still, that's, you can, you're still technically in Christmas. Uh, it may not feel like it anymore because all the stuff's gone now. <laughs> but, uh, but that's where we're at. So this weekend then, begins, uh, and, and during the Christmas season we talked about, and you think about the incarnation. Jesus came, God, fully God, fully man, in flesh, and what that means and the impact it has on us. And this week then begins uh, the epiphany season, 
the epiphany season. I like that, the sound of that, epiphany. Um, do, you, uh, do you like to figure out uh, who did it in a whodunit? Anybody sort of ever like that? If it, do, I like plot lines sort of in books or in, in shows where there's a mystery that needs to be solved by trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the clues that are given. And you know that moment when you figure it out? It's like that light bulb goes off. That's an epiphany of sorts. That's what it's like. It's all of a sudden, something that you didn't know, you know. It, it becomes clearer to you. Um, it's a revelation of some sort. Now, some epiphanies are a much bigger deal than others. Um, Paul has an epiphany in Ephesians that we're going to look at at the liturgy service tomorrow um, where, where God reveals to him um, that the Gentiles, which is good news for us, have access to God in Christ. And uh, it was an epiphany. It was a big deal. Uh, and, and so um, that's significant. Other epiphanies may not be quite as in, you know, significant as that, but they're still really good to have. Like that, you, you know that feeling I'm talking when the light bulb goes off? Like you, you ever get frustrated and stuck with something and you just can't figure it out? And you, I do this all the time and I'll take a break and I'll sort of sleep on it. And somewhere in the course of the time from when I walk away on it till I get back to it, it's fig- I figured it out. You know, and it's not me. I, I honestly believe God really helped me with all sorts of stuff like that. It'll just lay on me, oh, this is how you need to do that. Couldn't, couldn't get it, couldn't get it, and something happened. And it's a type of epiphany. Now, um, the, the epiphany that we're talking about, which means manifestation in the Greek, is all about Jesus being manifested or revealed to the Gentile world by the appearing of a star to some wise men in the East. Um, most of you know that as a sort of Christmas story, but it's actually the epiphany. And, and really, we're still in that season, and, and uh, we're not far from the manger scene when the wise men show up. Although we don't know how long it was. It might have been a significant amount of time. They're, they're not sure, but it wasn't like that moment. But, uh, but they did show up. But before we get into that and get our scripture reading, I, I talk all about that today. I have a little story that I think is, is kind of fitting for the day. Um, I've actually told you part of this story before, but then I had an epiphany about a new ending for it. And uh, so I'm going to run it by you, and uh, you you will help me determine if I'm going to do it again all throughout the week. It's about Quasimodo. You know who Quasimodo was? You know the famous bell ringer of the cathedral in Notre Dame? Is everybody with me? And and, a lot of stuff going on. Well, Quasimodo um, uh, has decided that it's time for him to retire. Uh, at this point in, in history. And so he sends word uh, throughout the streets of Paris that a new bell ringer is needed because he's, he's stepping down. He's going to retire. And uh, he decides that he'll actually conduct the interviews personally. And so he climbs up the 295 stairs into the belfry, which he's been doing his whole life, to begin the screening process. And after observing several applicants demonstrate their skills, he decides to call it a day. And just then, a man arrives to apply for the job, but due to a war injury, he had no strength at all in his arms. And Quasimodo appreciated the effort the man had made in climbing the belfry, but was really incredulous about how the man could ring the bell without the use of his arms. Don't worry, said the man, watch this. And he began striking the bells with his face producing a beautiful melody, melody, beautiful, just. And Quasimodo listened in astonishment, convinced he'd finally found the replacement, but suddenly as the man rushed forward to strike the bell once again, he tripped and plunged headlong out of the belfry uh, window to his death in the street below. The stunned Quasimodo rushed down the 295 church steps, and when he reached the street, a crowd had gathered around the fallen figure, drawn by the beautiful music music they'd heard only moments before. And as they silently parted to let Quasimodo through, one of them asked, Who was this man? I don't know his name, Quasimodo sadly replied. 
but his face rings a bell. Wait, wait, there's more. The following day, despite the sadness that weighed heavily on his heart due to the unfortunate death of the man whose face rang a bell, Quasimodo continued his interviews for the bell ringer of Notre Dame. The first man to approach him that day said, I am the brother of the man that fell to his death from this very belfry yesterday. I pray that you honor his life by allowing me to replace him in this duty. And Quasimodo agrees to give the man an audition, and together they climb up the 295 steps to the belfry. And as the man stood up to pick a mallet to strike the first bell for his audition, he groaned, grabbed his chest, twirled around, and died on the spot. Two monks, hearing Quasimodo's cries of grief at this second tragedy, rushed up the stairs to his side. What has happened? Who is this man? The first monk asked breathlessly. I don't know his name, sighed Quasimodo. But he's a dead ringer for his brother. (sighs) Wait, wait. Wait, I I had an epiphany. There's more. You liking this? Thank you. The following day, Despite the incredible sadness that weighed heavily on his heart due to the unfortunate deaths of the two brothers who desired to be bell ringers, Quasimodo continues his interviews for the bell ringer of Notre Dame. The very first man to approach didn't utter a word but nodded to, Quas- nodded to Quasimodo and started up the belfry steps. Realizing the man wanted an addition, Quasimodo follows him up as well. Having never uttered a word, the man picks up the mallet, winds up to take a mighty swing, mistimes the entire process, slips, and unbelievably rolls down the entire 295 steps, leading to his unfortunate demise as well. Quasimodo goes running down the steps again, tormented by the terrible string of bad events that have happened in the hunt for a bell ringer. When he reaches the fallen man, the monks are already there, and they ask Quasimodo who the man is, and Quasimodo responds, I don't know, but I've got a hunch... Thank you very much. Hunchback of Notre Dame, are you with me? (sighs) See, that's how you start out a new year. (laughs) Got to follow that all the rest of the year. It should be easy, right? (laughs) Thank you for your support. (laughs) Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And blessed be the name of the Lord. So I want to talk about that today. That's the scripture uh, for the epiphany. 
And the first point that I want to make about that is point number one, wise people seek the truth. Wise people seek the truth. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, our scripture reading for the day is a very familiar Bible story. In fact, it's one that's been really added to uh, a lot over time. Uh, the popular version of the story is that there were three wise men, but we really don't know actually how many wise men there are. It's not mentioned in scripture. All that we know are what kind of gifts they brought, and that's how that story is developed. The songs say that the kings came from the Orient, right? But uh, we only know that they came from the East. We know it was wise men and not wise women because if it had been wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and bought practical gifts. No extra charge. The, the magi weren't kings nor were they magicians, but they were very important in their culture. The Magi were a group of highly educated men, not, and these were Gentiles, <clears throat> probably from what's now uh, Iran, Iraq area. Um, they were educated men that studied the stars. Aspects of their knowledge would include what we call today astronomy, astrology, and perhaps theology as well. They believed, this is what they believed, that future events were foretold in the movement and positioning of the stars, and so they advised their kings concerning war and government of dangers and fortuitous opportunities ahead. They believed they could tell from their reading of the stars that a king was about to be born in the land of Judah, so they set off to find this king and present appropriate gifts. The magi, which means wise men, were searching for the truth. Now, to those of us who appreciate, you know, astronomy, um, uh, we, we get that that's a cool thing. Um, but the, um, uh, scripturally, for us to kind of have to process the idea that somehow astrology was being um, uh, used here is kind of maybe a difficult concept. Um, uh, and yet, fascinating to me, that God would use the heavens to write his message clearly to the world that his son was being born um, in order that he could reach out to people where they were at the time. Um, like that, by that I mean since most of the world at the time believed in astrology and that the future was written and controlled by the stars and planets, God acknowledged the world where they were so that they could come to know the truth. See, he sends them a message in terms they can understand. And if they're looking for the truth, they're going to find it. Even though they were looking in the wrong places, this is significant because of who God is. If they're really seeking truth, God will work with them in order to find it. So the Magi believe the truth is in the stars. So notice how God uses a star to draw the Magi to see his glory revealed. The Lord was patient and gracious with these Gentiles. He gave them a sign they could follow for a moment. In his own way, God used a special star to let these wise men know that a special king had been born. After all, the Lord of the universe is, is certainly in control of the situation. All the stars and all the planets and all the galaxies serve his purpose. But I like this thought. At creation, God decreed a star be set in the sky for those magi at the appropriate time. 
And in so doing, the Lord actually fulfills scripture. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down and look at it later. Isaiah 60, verse number 3, says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Lord actually sets all this in motion at creation, knowing how, you know, it just fascinates me how things happen and how God uses all the things that he's done in order to draw people in to the truth. People that are seeking. See, at the same time, I think it's interesting that the established religious community of the day, um, we, we know from them that they knew where the Messiah was going to be born, but they weren't seeking him. Back in verse 5 and 6, that's where the king, the Herod, goes to ask, where was he going to be born at? And they knew, but they weren't out looking. They weren't seeking him. Now, Herod wants to know, but only for selfish and evil purposes. He wants to eliminate competition to the throne, so he can't find him either. I like that part of the story. He, he said, they weren't looking with the right heart. They can't find him. Or they weren't looking at all. They couldn't find him. But if you're earnestly searching for the truth, you will find Jesus because, point number two, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus personifies truth. And so all real truth seekers will continue their search until they find Jesus. So you, you might meet people that are looking at all sorts of things. If they're really seeking the truth, I firmly believe they'll find Jesus at some point. They might go through a lot of... Anybody here go through some weird stuff before you got to Jesus? <laughs> I did. I was looking for answers all over the place. Uh, you know, I'm glad it, it only took me around 25 years to find him. Because I, I, I probably wouldn't have lasted much longer. Because I was going in some bad ways to find something. But, but even in that, here's the thing. Because I was looking, God used the stuff I was doing to ultimately get me to him. I, I can look now and see how he used situations and people and, and events to get me to a spot where I came to know the truth. And knowing the truth changes everything. Knowing him changes everything. See, once you do find Jesus, point number three is the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. John 8, 32. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from the emptiness, from the, the struggle, the search, the pain, the mess. He'll set you free. And see, when you, when you find and then know Jesus, the truth, some amazing things will begin to happen in you, just like they did with the Magi. And, and these things are, are significant in our lives, because these are things that should be happening when we live in Christ, when we live in the truth. One of the things that ought to be happening, just like it did with the Magi, and that's his point A, under three, is that um, you should experience a measure of joy. Uh, when you're living and walking with Jesus, you will experience a measure of joy. Not fake, not pretend, not pasted on, but a deep down understanding that you are his now and forever. And there's something about it that will change the way that you view life. There's something about knowing that because of your relationship with the Messiah, with Jesus, and, and his life in you now and forever, the life you have in him now and forever, that things are going to be different. It's not a pass on difficulties because this is a fallen world. It's a broken planet and difficult things happen. But it's, a, it's a, this place of settledness knowing that, that there's an amazing end to this story and, and that he's got us now and forever. And so in the midst of the most difficult things that we experience, we can experience 
a measure of joy. So and, and make sure you're with me. Joy is not fake, pretend. You, you know, you've always heard my, you hear my, my uh, description of fake joy. There's a perfect description of fake joy. You've, if you've been here, you've heard me say it again, but it's worth saying it again to you, all right? Um, the, the biggest picture of fake joy that I can point out for you is, is at the end of a beauty pageant, when it gets down to the last two contestants, it's a, right? Miss A and Miss B. <laughs> and these women ha, or, have spent their entire lives preparing for this moment. It's the biggest deal. It's down to the last two. When they announce the winner, the other one who jumps up and down for her, that's fake. <laughs> Yay for you! That's really not what's going on inside. It's just not. I'm sorry. My thought immediately is, I hope you've done something really bad they find out so I can still be number one. <laughs> Which happens fairly often. <laughs> yeah. So, um, not fake, but, but a real place of just knowing that you're his forever. Matthew 2, 9 and 10. The Magi, after they uh, heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When they got there and got to Jesus and all that had happened and they saw what was going on, they were filled with joy. What springs out of the joy that I'm talking about is the little letter B, worship. Worship happens. Worship happens next. Matthew 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When, when we really know Jesus, we find him, we know him, and, and he, he begins to move in our lives. What springs out of what he does in us is an overwhelming desire to worship him. To worship him. Which is a desire to love him. And the desire to spend time with him and to rest in his presence. We use that word worship, and we, I do it here, I do the same thing, to, to usually talk about when we're singing to God in song. But worship is more than that. It's just a connection with God that can happen throughout the course of our lives, throughout any time of the day. It can happen singing, but it can happen praying. It can happen talking uh, to him. It can happen just sitting quietly in his presence. But it's this overwhelming desire that if you don't connect with God, that you're missing something in your own life and you get that. That you, you need this time to, to just thank him for who he is and for what he's done. You, you need this time just to, just to remember who he is and all that he's done. And so, so joy happens and then worship happens and then out of that worship comes a life of sacrifice. Sacrifice, that's the little letter C. I use that word um, to describe this. It's a realization that the universe doesn't revolve around us. That life is found in living for him. That all we have is his and we want him to use it and us in whatever way he wants. Not our will, his will. Not our way, his way. Matthew 2.11 Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense of myrrh. They, they gave, they, they sacrificed, they gave back to him. So, so amazing was the, their... Um, connection so so amazing was the fact that they'd found the truth their joy moved to worship moved to a desire to give back to the Lord and and see this is what happens in our lives we 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 realize that for most of our lives we live 
sort of for ourselves, trying to make it all work in our own strength, and it never does. And we never really find the joy and the settledness and the peace that we're looking for. But when we come to know Him and we begin to realize it's bigger than all that and that life is found in living for Him, everything begins to change. Then in, in that whole paradox of living for Him, we actually begin to experience the kind of life we've always wanted. Life is found in Him. It's an amazing, amazing thing. In Christ, God has made a way for all of us, Jew and Gentile, to find and experience real and forever life in his story. And that is how the epiphany starts. And we'll be talking more about it in the next few weeks before we move on in the church year. So that's the epiphany and what it's all about. And uh, we'll pick it up from there. If you're watching by video or on television, thank you so much for your time with us. We appreciate how valuable your time is and that you chose to spend these moments with us uh, today. Uh, we'll be back again you know, in the next couple of days or next week on uh, the television and with new messages on the website. If you need anything, you can go to our website and send us an email or call us and we'd be happy to pray for you. Thank you for your time.